Welcome to the program today. We've rebranded it from American Liberty with Bill Lockwood to Patriotic Pulpit. That's what we're calling ourselves now. The Patriotic Pulpit, you can find us on Amazon Music. That's an app. And you can find us on other apps as well. So uh, Spotify is one of them. And so Patriotic Pulpit. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene, a, a great Republican conservative from the state of Georgia, stated the other day what many people believe already to be the case, already already should be occurring, and that is the, she suggested that a national divorce should take place between from the blue states by the red states. That is red states, a national divorce from the blue states. According to ABC News, this would be splitting the country according to political ideology, and I agree with that. Furthermore, the article touts that the Supreme Court ruled it is unconstitutional for a state to secede, which would make it impossible for her plan to be implemented. We'll come back to that in just a few moments. Actually, Green's proposal is a solid, rational proposal that many liberty lovers, including myself, have been counseling for years. For example, the late, great Walter Williams proposed the same made the same proposal in an article in September 2000, and the article was entitled, It's Time to Part Company. He cited irreconcilable differences. Now, we'll go back to that article in just a few moments, but I want to notice some things that Green had to say and some of the attacks that she's received because of her proposal. Now, before we do that, however, I want to reflect upon what one of the Old greats had said, and this is Oliver Wendell Holmes, Sr., in his book called The Autocrat, published in 1858. And he was making, at that time, observations, pertinent observations regarding what he called the art of conversation, how to talk with someone and what, what are some good ideas about conversing with other people, simply about being diplomatic and how to have a good conversation. And he noted that the thing that spoils more good talks than anything else are long arguments on special points, I'm quoting now, between people who differ on fundamental principles upon which these points depend. When people can agree on ultimate beliefs, there should at least be an agreement not to broach these topics in ordinary conversation. Now, let's go back and pick up the important line here. People who differ on fundamental principles upon which these points depend. That is precisely the point. Disagreements between left and right in this nation are so fundamental at this point as to demand a divorce. There's really no conversation with socialist Democratic Party people. There's no conversation there. For example, one lady told me when we were discussing the unconstitutional welfare system and our and by the way our founding fathers stated point blank that it was unconstitutional we don't have to guess about whether it was unconstitutional or not and we were discussing this lady and I were discussing and I t- talked about this strong arm of the government stealing from one segment of society and giving to another segment and here's how she responded yes i know that's stealing but i still think that's what we ought to be doing well, where do, you, where do you go from there? The right and the left in this country are so far divided 
they're so far apart on basic fundamental principles such as God versus atheism. Do our rights come from God? Are they, do they originate from God or do they originate from government? We differ on limited government or global government or the government that should be intrusive into every area of your life. The role of government in the first place, whether the role of the government is to create a zone of order in which you should be allowed the freedom to basically choose your destiny and how you want to pursue your life. Or is the government's role to provide the bread to put on the people's table? What is the role of government? And when we differ so widely on these basic principles, really there's no conversation, according to Oliver Wendell Holmes, there's no peaceable conversation because the basic principles upon which a conversation would have to be conducted, we disagree about them. Now, that's exactly right. Marjorie Taylor Greene is exactly where a host of us commoners are. It's exactly where I am. It's time for an amical divorce. Go our separate ways. Now, the lefties in this nation don't want it because, of course, they want us to continue paying their bills. They want the right, those on the right, to continue paying the bills for all of their social programs, socialistic programs. So they don't want it. They don't want the divorce. So let's talk about their objections for just a moment. ABC News, number one. ABC News hurries to the point. They said, well, as we read a moment ago, the national divorce is unconstitutional. And they go on to tell us in the article, after the Civil War, the Supreme Court ruled that it is unconstitutional for a state to secede, which would make it impossible for her plan to be implemented. Now, in this, ABC News evidently refers to the 1859 decision, Texas versus White. I think it's actually 1869. It was after the Civil War. The Texas versus White decision. Now, I simply say this. How shallow have we become? The same high court that ruled in 1857 that all blacks, slaves as well as free, were property and were not afforded the same rights as the rest of us, they could never become citizens. Are we willing to live by this dictatorial decree? That is ridiculous. It is absurd to suppose that because the Supreme Court speaks, that therefore it is constitutional. There's a reason why the Supreme Court gives opinions. Many of them are flat wrong, and they're unconstitutional in themselves. Are we able as individuals to assess what the high court rules against the standards of what we ourselves consider to be the Constitution or know of the Constitution? Are we able to assess by looking at the lens of the Constitution and a judge what natural law has encoded within each one of us? Are we able to assess what is right and wrong? Or is it the case that the Supreme Court speaks and we must place crowns on the justices' head and put scepters in their hands and bow before them? What is the case here? The Supreme Court is not the dictatorial decree place that should be that we should bow before. It is helpful to recall that the unconstitutional welfare system, by the way, the unconstitutional welfare system that our founding fathers basically said in so many words was unconstitutional, it was considered that to be the way all the way up to the time of FDR. But what happened? When FDR's welfare programs, socialistic programs, were first floated, and he tried to cram them through and push them through, 
Do you know that all nine justices of the Supreme Court declared that they were unconstitutional, one and all of them? So what did FDR do? Well, he went to power politics and started the court packing scheme, threatening the Supreme Court justices. And finally, after replacing several of them with political activists, well, they were able to five to four push through the welfare schemes, including Social Security, which all of the our founding fathers and the Constitution they made unconstitutional to begin with. They pushed it through. And that, that was FDR's period. Power politics. So don't tell me that the Supreme Court says thus and so, therefore it's constitutional. No, we cannot judge what the Constitution says ourselves. Now, we'll be back in just a moment looking at more objections to what Marjorie Taylor Greene had to say. Marjorie Taylor Greene is right on this issue. We'll talk about it in just a moment. Marjorie Taylor Greene, the firebrand conservative Republican from Georgia, which we appreciate and I like her. She's great. She stands up. She does. She stands right on the issues. And she suggested it's time for a divorce of the red states from the blue states. And I agree with her. I think she's exactly right. Well, we talked about objection, several, well, one of them, the first segment here. I want to talk about another objection here. Here's, this is from Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney, a Republican, she's a neocon. That basically means she's a socialist, a soft socialist neocon. That's what a neocon is, a socialist. There are many Republicans, you know, that are socialists. And so Liz Cheney, Mitt Romney, he's one of them also. Adam Kinzinger, all those kind of guys. Well, Liz Cheney made this comment. She said, our country is governed by the Constitution. You swore an oath to support and defend the Constitution. Secession is unconstitutional. No member of Congress should advocate secession, Marjorie. Well, let me tell you something, Liz Cheney. You're wrong on this. How do you think that America was founded to begin with? Our founding fathers seceded from Great Britain. And the reason they did so was because Great Britain, England, had trounced the rights of common English or the common rights of Englishmen. They had trounced those rights. They had negated them. They had canceled those rights. And because they had ignored and trampled the rights of freeborn Englishmen, they seceded from England. That's how the country was founded. What do you mean it's unconstitutional? Now, I realize that the Supreme Court stated in 1869, I believe it was, that, well, you cannot secede from the Union, but that was their opinion. That's a wrong opinion. That's what it is. As a matter of fact, law books, commentaries on the Constitution that were written during the founding period and immediately thereafter, such as St. George Tucker, pointed out that the very reason that states agreed to get into the Union was under the assumption that they might be able to pull back if their rights as states and individuals in those states were violated, if the federal government became too big. Incidentally, this is why men such as Patrick Henry didn't even sign on to the Constitution to begin with, because they said the federal government is going to take away the rights of the states and the rights of individuals. They're going to remove your rights, and they're not going to heed what rights they said 
actually the people gave to the federal government, they gave certain rights to them. And, and they said, Patrick Henry said, you know what? The history of all government is that governments take too much power and they remove the rights of people. So he refused to sign the Constitution. He refused to be a part of it. And St. George Tucker, who was at the University of Virginia with Thomas Jefferson, he himself stated the reason we're getting into the Constitution, and he wrote the first commentary on it, is because of the right to withdraw from the Constitution, or withdraw from the Union, rather, if indeed the federal government removes the rights of people. What do you mean it's unconstitutional, Liz? What do you mean, Liz Cheney? No, you don't understand about the Constitution. If you did, you wouldn't be involved in the welfare state as you are. She doesn't understand about the Constitution. And the Constitution itself our country itself, Declaration of Independence establishing our nation was founded upon cessation. What do you mean is unconstitutional? That's crazy. Mitt Romney chimed in with Cheney, showed his own ignorance. He said, I think Abraham Lincoln dealt with this kind of insanity. We're not going to divide the country. Well, let me tell you something, Mitt Romney, that was not insanity to withdraw from the Union, as we've already pointed out. Our founding fathers all agreed that that's exactly what we need to do. And that's what we did from England. And we have a right as people before God to self-govern. That's what the Declaration of Independence is all about. I challenge Mitt Romney to discuss, to look at the Declaration of Independence and tell me how in the world can you come to the conclusion that it is insanity to withdraw from a nation that removes the rights of its individual citizens? How is that insanity? I just, this floors me that we have representatives that don't understand the basic principles of freedom and liberty, but that they don't. Well, furthermore, Adam Kinzinger gives this objection. He, by the way, is a supposed moderate member of Congress. He stated, every Republican elected official needs to be asked and must give an answer. Do you support a national divorce, a.k.a. civil war, civil war? One would answer, no. Civil war, really? Kinzinger, really? Civil war, is that what's required to say we're withdrawing? Now, when the colonies seceded from England that did have war, but that was because that England invaded our country. England said, you're not going to leave. We're going to take that money We want the tax money that comes from the colonies, and we want it over here in England, and you're not going to have a voice to it. That's exactly what's taking place today, ladies and gentlemen. No different at all. And so England invaded the United States. And when the southern states seceded from the Union, it was exactly the same situation. Now, people might say, well, how about slavery? How about slavery? You know, slavery was bankrolled by the northern banks, such as Chase Manhattan Bank. They bankrolled it in the north. They caused it. They brought it about. But they didn't want to lose all of the tax money from the southern states when they seceded. And so they said, no, you're not going to leave the union. And so that's what happened. And right now, the reason that these neocons and liberals don't want any kind of split 
in the United States is because they want you, the American taxpayer in the state of Texas and southern states, Alabama and Georgia, Louisiana, they don't want you. In Oklahoma, they don't want you to forego giving your money to the federal government. They want to keep you paying the bills while they go their globalist plans. That's what they want to do. That's why they don't want secession. They don't want a national divorce. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene, to my knowledge, didn't use the word secession, but I'm using it, and I think she's exactly right. We need a national divorce. Now, when we come back after break here, I want to read to you what Walter Williams had to say on the subject. Marjorie Taylor Greene is not the only one who said this, and I've talked about it for a long time myself, but Walter Williams, the great Walter Williams, set it apace in the year 2000 in a great article about it's time for a divorce. We'll be back in just a moment. As I pointed out earlier, you can find us on Spotify. That's an app. And then you can also find us on Amazon Music. It will be under Patriotic Pulpit. And we're in the midst of changing brands of this program. American Liberty with Bill Lockwood kicked off of uh, YouTube already for several times. As, of course, anybody who stands on any kind of principle is going to be kicked off and say things that are politically incorrect. So we've rebranded the show, Patriotic Pulpit, made it a podcast, and that's where you'll find us. You will also find articles that I write, and you'll find them on News Talk 1290 website. This is a News Talk 1290. It's out of Wichita Falls. We're in Lubbock and Abilene, also on the radio. And so News Talk 1290 website has many articles dealing with uh, West Texas and Central North Central Texas, where we are, and you'll find articles that I have written on these topics that we're talking about, as well as others also. But you'll also find me on another uh, network or another area, and that is, it is iowaparkcoc.org. I preach in the Churches of Christ, iowaparkcoc.org, and you can find sermons that I preach. I use these kind of illustrations. I talk about some of these political issues because they're not simply political I don't believe in the divorce between po- politics and religion. I believe all of it flows out of a basic worldview. So I mention these things in the pulpit. I have articles there. I'm also teaching the book of Revelation right now in Bible class, and that you can find on the iowaparkcoc.org. There's a lot of nonsense that is taught, by the way, pertaining to the book of Revelation. And I'll say right up front, I believe that it was written prior to the year 70, or I believe it refers primarily to the destruction of Jerusalem in the year 70. It's an expansion of what we find in Matthew chapter 24, but that's another story for another day. But you'll find classes in which we'll talk about all of these issues going through the book of Revelation. Topics that we cover in sermons are are many and varied. So iowaparkcoc.org, you'll find articles that I write as well as sermons that are there. All right. I told you that I was going to uh, look at what Walter Williams had to say. And he had an article in 2000, I believe it was 2000, in which it was, uh, and the article was entitled, It's Time to Part Company. And I want to share it with you because he said exactly what Marjorie Taylor Greene is saying today. He says, one political question we have to answer is whether George W. Bush or Albert Gore shall be president. Now, this was in 2000, remember And just which party will control the House of Representatives and the Senate? But I'd suggest that there's a far more important long-run question we must answer. If one group of people prefers government control and management of people's lives, and another prefers liberty and a desire to be left alone, should they be required to fight 
to antagonize one another, to risk bloodshed and loss of life in order to impose their preferences, or should they be able to peaceably part company and go their separate ways? Like a marriage that has gone bad, I believe there are enough irreconcilable differences between those who want to control and those who want to be left alone that divorce is the only peaceable alternative. Is that what Marjorie Taylor Greene just suggested the other day? Walter Williams goes on. Just as in a marriage where vows are broken, our human rights protections guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution have been grossly violated by a government instituted to protect them, Americans who are responsible for and support the constitutional abrogation have no intention of intention of mending their ways. Let's look at some of the magnitude of the violations. Article 1, Section 8 of our Constitution enumerates the activities for which Congress is authorized to tax and spend. Now, let me stop there. Maybe I need to reread that line because this is exactly what the Constitution is about. I want you to notice how he worded it. It's exactly on target. Article 1, Section 8 of our Constitution enumerates the activities for which Congress is authorized to tax and to spend. James Madison, the acknowledged father of the Constitution, explained it in the Federalist Papers. The powers delegated by the proposed Constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Those which are to remain in the state governments are numerous and indefinite. The former will be exercised principally on external objects as war, peace, negotiation, and foreign commerce. The powers reserved to the several states will extend to all other objects, which is the ordinary course of affairs, concern the lives and liberties, the properties of the people, the internal order, improvement and prosperity of the state. End of quote. That was from the Federalist Papers written by James Madison. What did he say? Let's review it. The powers delegated by the proposed Constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Let's just dissect this for a moment. Who delegates to the federal government power? You do. That's exactly right. You do, or the states. You, citizens, ordinary individuals, we the people, through the states, delegate to the federal government power. The federal government has only so much power that we delegate to it. That's exactly how Madison, the father of the Constitution, put it. And how many powers did we delegate to the federal government? Approximately 20. He didn't say the number here, but that's you go through Article 1, Section 8, and you'll count approximately 20 powers. We gave, ceded, <clears throat> excuse me, ceded to the federal government approximately 20 powers. I say approximately because it depends upon how you read the clauses of Article 1, Section 8 as to how many numbers you come up with, either 19 or 20. Some, I think Judge Napolitano says 18. Another constitutional authority I read said 19, but I say 20. All right, 20 powers to the federal government. Only 20. And what do those powers consist of? Well, external objects, war, peace, negotiation of foreign commerce, Coinage of monies, that was something that was also in there. Weights and measures. Not having one state tax another state. All those kinds of things. Federal government was to oversee those. Okay, what is left to the states? The powers left to the states extend to all other objects. 
And just to put a lock and key on it, I've left Williams's article here. And just to put a lock and key on it, because this is how Thomas Jefferson worded it, the Tenth Amendment says no, no other power can be assumed by the federal government. None other. Only these 20. Now, are we there? No. We left it, ladies and gentlemen. We left it in the Civil War period, post-Civil War period. We left it. And when the progressive era started, they began to take over everything. And now that's where they are in everything. Williams continuing, nowhere among the enumerated powers of the con- of Congress is there authority to tax and spend for social security, public education, farm subsidies, bank bailouts, food stamps, and other activities that represent roughly two-thirds of the federal budget. Neither is there authority for Congress's mandate to the states and people about how they may u- use their land the speed at which they can drive, whether a library has wheelchair ramps and the gallons of water used per toilet flush, a list of uh, congressional violations of the letter and spirit of the Constitution is virtually without end. Americans who wish to live free have two options. If you want to live free, you have two options, says Williams. We can resist, fight, and risk bloodshed to force America's tyrants to respect our liberties and human rights, or, this is number two that Williams points out, we can seek a peaceable resolution of a rec- irreconcilable differences by separating. That that can be done by peopling several states, say Texas and Louisiana, controlling their legislatures, and then issuing a unilateral declaration of independence just as our founders did in 1776. You say, Williams... Nobody has to go that far. Just get involved in the political process and vote for the right person. Here's Williams's answer. That's nonsense. Liberty shouldn't require a vote. It's a God-given or natural right. We should not have to vote for natural rights or God-given rights. Some independence or secessionist movements, such as our 1776 war with England, and our 1860 war between the states have been violent, but they need not be. In 1905, Norway seceded from Sweden. Panama seceded from Colombia, 1903. West Virginia seceded from Virginia, 1863. Nonetheless, violent secession can lead to great friendships. England is probably our greatest ally, and we have fought three major wars together. There's no reason why Texiana, Texas and Louisiana, couldn't peaceably secede, be an ally, and have strong economic ties with the United States. The bottom line question for all of us is, should we part company? That would be peaceably. Or continue trying to forcibly impose our wills on one another. That is the great, late great Walter Williams. He tells us in the article, it's time to part company. Marjorie Taylor Greene is exactly where he is. I think she is exactly right. We'll be back in a moment. We've been talking about an amicable divorce, red states from blue states. Marjorie Taylor Greene suggested it. Walter Williams' article that we just read a moment ago suggested it. And I believe that the time has passed. If we're going to maintain freedom, if we're going to maintain liberty at all, 
It's time to secede. It's time. I'm using the word secede. It's time to part company because there's no, there's no bringing the two sides together at this point. Now, that's exactly what I believe. Now, our founding fathers believed that we have the right of secession. I believe it also. But I do want to make this proposal as well. Not that it will be followed, but it is what I call, or what is called, nullification. Now, I say it probably won't be followed at all because when Obamacare came down the pike, let me just give this illustration. And incidentally, you can go back and read about it from the founding fathers, James Madison and Thomas Jefferson. And they called it the principles of 98 because it was 1798. They made the proposals. So it is called the principles of 98. That is that states right to nullify, disregard, nullify an unconstitutional law from the federal government. And this is a, perhaps a halfway measure that people could and should partake of at a state level. But I have very little confidence that Texas, as proud and as strong as we claim to be, that we're strong enough to be able to stand up and say, no, we're not going to do that. Now, how do I, why do I think that? Well, let's just take, for example, when Obamacare came down the pike. What year was that? I don't know. I've forgotten what year it was, maybe 2000 and um, whatever. When Obamacare came down the pike. Clearly unconstitutional, way outside the bounds of the Constitution, forcing people to buy health care. Now, this is is absolutely so crazy. And one of the things I remember watching on Fox News at the time, I remember um, one of the commentators, a woman commentator saying, well, we're going to have to wait and see what the Supreme Court says, whether it's constitutional or not. I thought, now, isn't that crazy? We don't know whether it's constitutional or not. We can't assess the Constitution or by means of the Constitution assess whether a proposed law meets the criteria or not. And we have to wait for the nine justices, the kings and queens on the court to decide and tell us what it is. Crazy. Well, that's an aside. What I was interested in is there were three options for the state of Texas at that time. And when the Supreme Court said, yes, it's constitutional because John Roberts said, by the way, it's just a tax and you know the story and we can, we're going to, we're going to follow the constitution. We're going to uh, impose Obamacare on all of the country. So Texas had three options at that time. Number one, set up the exchanges in compliance with federal law, set up the healthcare exchanges. Number two, be reluctant about it and say, well, we don't want to do it. We don't like it. We don't like that law and we're not going to do it. And so the federal government's going to send their own agents into the state to set up the exchanges. Or number three, say, absolutely not. That's unconstitutional. Not only do we disagree with it, it is our citizens' right to make their own destiny and to assess what is constitutional. And we are not going to do it, nor are you federal government agents coming into the state of Texas and setting up exchanges. We're not participating. That would be nullification. What do we do? Well, the same thing every other state did, or most of the state, even though they're red states, fairly conservative, say, well, <clears throat> we don't like it. We're just, but we went kicking and screaming and crying about it. And we let them come in and set up the exchanges and we're now participating. That's what happened. 
We were not strong enough to say no at a state level. No, we're not doing that. It's unconstitutional. That would have been the nullification practice. Say no. Just say no. We say no. Is nullification practiced? Oh, the liberals do. They liberals all the time do it. For example, federal law says, which is violated every single day by the Biden administration, you can't have illegals coming over into this nation. And you have to come through the port of entry. You have to come in through the gates of entry. And you can't can't just flood. Well, Biden says, no, we're, we're disregarding that. We're bringing them on in anyway. So that's how they treat federal law. But federal law says, no, you can't. You can't come in to the state of Texas. You can't come into the United States if you're illegal. That is the law. But what do what do liberal cities do? Well, they nullify that law. How do they nullify it? They say, we're setting up a sanctuary city. We're, we're disregarding, we're thumbing our nose at the federal law, and we're saying, you come here to the city of New York City and and we will take care of you in spite of, in spite of federal law. So we're disregarding federal law. That's nullification. And the liberals do it all the time. But the conservatives can't find the strength to do it. So I don't know if I have much confidence that we'll be able to do this, let alone have the amicable divorce that Marjorie Taylor Greene has talked about. But. Let's consider nullification for just a few moments. Now, I want to talk about, I will start with, I should say, some things regarding the Constitution itself. I thought this was interesting. This is 2009. It goes back to the constitutional crisis that we're in. So House Speaker Nancy Pelosi at that time was the speaker. She was asked by a reporter, where in the Constitution does she find authority to impose health care insurance mandates upon Americans? And how, here, how, here's how she responded. She said, are you serious? Are you serious? The reporter indicated that he was. She just shook her head and went on to another question. Her press secretary later said this, that is not a serious question. <laughs> in other words, we don't know. We have no idea. We have no idea where it's in the Constitution, but what does it matter? We're doing what we want to do anyway. At that time, Senator DePat LaHaye was asked the same thing. Where in the Constitution is authority for this mandate? His response is, well, there's no question of authority. Nobody questions the authority. That was the end of his response. In other words, I have no idea. I have no idea. Senator at that time was Mark Warner, was asked the same question. Where in the Constitution is there authority to impose health insurance mandates upon the Americans? Senator Mark Warner said, well, there's no place in the Constitution that talks about the, the, what you ought to, uh, about, I'm, I'm kind of stumbling on that one, about you ought to have the right to get a telephone, but we have those choices in the country. So he says, all right, in the Constitution, it doesn't give you the right to say what kind of telephone you use, but we have those choices in the country. Mark Warner, that is true. Constitution does not specifically allow Americans to eat at Taco Bell, for example. The difference that managed to escape Senator Warner is that in a free society, people do not require constitutional authority to act. Government does. And we're asking, where does the Constitution give the federal government authority to do something? 
It's not about whether you have a right to eat at Taco Bell or have a, a, a cell phone. No, it's not about that at all. It's about what right does the federal government have? They don't have any clue. And the reason they don't have a clue is because it's not there. So Judge Napolitano asked Congressman James Clyburn of South Carolina where the Constitution authorizes government taking over one-fifth of the economy through the health care system. And Clyburn said this. Now, he, he landed on this one. Here's his answer. Well, where does it say we can't? <laughs> I tell you what, you talk about juvenile, junior high-style answers. Where does it say you can't do it? What manages to escape Clyburn and all of his cronies in the Democratic Party is that the entire Constitution is based upon principles of natural law that demand specific authority to be given to the federal government to do anything. That's what the Constitution tells us. That's what Article 1, Section 8 tells you in so many words. We give to the federal government the authority to do this and that. It's not about, well, what does it say? I can't do that. That is so, that's such a simpleton answer. But, you know, we can go on and on and on with these kinds of numbskull answers that these Democrats give. But there is an answer that perhaps we should explore for just a moment that should be explored at the state level. And that is the constitutional remedy, principles of 98 or nullification. Nullification, number one, begins with the axiomatic point that a federal law that violates the Constitution is no law at all. It is void and of no effect. That's why I say that we need an amicable divorce, red states from blue states, as does Marjorie Taylor Greene, because they have trampled the Constitution. They don't even know what the Constitution is. Liz Cheney doesn't even know what the Constitution reads. She doesn't understand anything about it at all. Neither does Mitt Romney. They don't understand the basic principles that undergird it, let alone the Constitution itself. Number two, nullification tells us that it is up to the states, the parties in the federal contract or the compact, to declare that these laws, what they are, and refuse to enforce them. It just implies that the states, that's nullification, tells us that the states have the right to look at the law and refuse to enforce them. The state, therefore, becomes the shield between the people and an overreaching federal government, which at this point has a president that deans, deans himself to be the imperator and the imperial presidency, and his lackeys, the Democratic Socialist Party, are happy to do just the things that he wants them to do. That's what's going on. So nullification begins with the principle that unconstitutional laws are no law at all. Number two, it's up to the states to protect the citizens as a shield, which the state of Texas has not done adequately. Number three, nullification depends upon the principle that the Supreme Court does not hold a monopoly upon constitutional interpretation. You know, this is, this is exactly, if you think about it for a moment, the idea that the Supreme Court has the monopoly on constitutional interpretation. That is exactly the Roman Catholic position in medieval times. And even today, 
the Roman Catholic position basically tells us that we'll t- you can you have a Bible there, but we'll tell you what it means. We'll tell you what the the official interpretation of it means. No, thank you. The Bible was written as a revelation from God to man. And the word revelation, which is used over and over in the scripture itself, means just exactly that. It is revealing God's will to man. And it is based upon the assumption that God made man with the inherent ability to read and understand what it says. I don't need a Roman church to tell me what is the official interpretation of the Bible. As a matter of fact, I look at the Bible and understand it. Not every passage necessarily. We can understand it. You can also. And by the understanding we have of the Scripture, we can understand how the Roman church is off and wrong. And the same thing regarding the Constitution. I can look at the Constitution. I can read it myself. You think, well, boy, that sounds, that sounds pretty haughty. You know what? It is simply the same assertion that Thomas Jefferson made. He said, the Constitution is written for simple people, not simple-minded, the simple, common people that they can read it and understand it and know what it means. And everybody can read it, and he encouraged people. Our, all of our founding fathers encouraged all the people to read it and understand it. By the way, thinking about that, do you know, do you realize that when the Constitution was first proposed, they put it in the newspapers, they put the Federalist Papers, which by which John Jay, James Madison, Alexander Hamilton were explaining the Constitution to the mass of people, and they put it in the newspapers. Here's what it means. Now, they were not saying, well, by the way, if you want to know what this means, you go to the high court. And you go and understand it from what the Supreme Court tells you it means. No. No, the people assessed what the Constitution actually meant. And it was the people who agreed, okay, we'll accept this Constitution. And by the way, another point to be made here, the Supreme Court was not set up for two or three more years after the Constitution was ratified. How did anybody understand it? How did anybody know what it meant? Well, they understood it because God gives us an inherent ability, natural law, an inherent ability to understand language and to be able to apply it. Nullification is based upon that principle also, that we have the ability to understand it. Well, you know what? I had a lot more to say, as you can probably gather from the steam I've been gathering ahead of here, but... Be that as it may, we'll come back to this point. I want you to look at the news when Marjorie Taylor Greene has had to say regarding divorce of red states from the blue. She's exactly right. 